재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Korea's number one foreign language station 101.3 TBS EFM For previous episodes of The Bookend, please search TBS EFM The Bookend via podcast or go to tbsefm.seoul.kr and search for our program. Some years ago, I started calling myself Ginger, Peter, Sherlock, Rosemary, Emmanuel, the Archbishop of Canterbury. You may know me better as The Real Slim Shady. Rumoured to be the new signing for Westminster and the Thames. And I just love to ride horses. But only if the Banjo Union Bolt has been corrected. First chapter. It's time again for first chapter. We read you an excerpt from a different book every Sunday morning, usually from the exposition. Today, I'll be reading from Pyeonghaeyeong's Tongjorim Gongjang, or The Canning Factory, a gruesome tale for those of you still in the afterglow of Halloween this morning. Pyeonghaeyeong is a prolific writer who has published many novels and short story collections, most recently Seonae Bopchik, or The Rules of Lines, published earlier in the year. I'll talk more about her after the excerpt. The canning factory begins with the disappearance of a factory manager. If this were a proper mystery novel, it would stick to the investigation of what happened to him. But the real story is in what happens in the factory itself and the unsettling nature of a place where things come to be canned and preserved for a long, long time. I'll be back after Farrell Williams's Know Who You Are. The Canning Factory by Pyeonghaeyeong The police detective, who hadn't started investigating the case until a week after the report was filed, had learned that the plant manager and Park were not on good terms. He'd been informed of this by an employee who'd heard Park confront the plant manager in the locker room on the day he was last seen. The detective called Park into a tiny room inside the warehouse. He asked him about the argument in the locker room, if he was asked to work late for personal favors often, how long it took to can the foods that night, what kinds of foods were canned, what he did after leaving the factory, whether there was anything unusual about the plant manager that day, and whether they were usually on good terms. After Park finished answering the questions, the detective walked out of the room into the warehouse. Though he wasn't asked to do so, Park followed. What'd you do with the cans afterwards? 
I ship them to country tea the next day, as usual. Is it common to can things like that for personal use? Park shook his head slowly. Truth was, all the employees had secretly canned something at least once. There was a man who sealed a ring for his girlfriend inside a sari can. When she opened the can and saw the ring lying on the can's silver bottom, she pulled it out, slid it onto her finger, and laughed in delight. There was a parent who, for Christmas once, hid some inexpensive toys in some peach cans. Pulling back the tab on the lid revealed a few Lego blocks and a robot that transformed into an airplane, and other things like that. Other canned items included documents of someone's very first home purchase and letters from a former lover. Once, someone even made canned cat meat. It was for one of her parents with neuralgia. She supposedly bought the cat from the market. People thought she found it on the street, and boiled it down for a long time until the meat became tender and loose. She canned and sealed it. She was later caught and made to write an apology, but after that incident, the factory workers realized that there was no limit to what they could can. Some say that the company president stashed his cash in sealed cans instead of a safe. It was the beginning of the month after accounts were balanced when apparently someone saw him stuff a wad of cash inside a can and press the compressor switch. Upon hearing these rumors, the president was visibly upset, which meant it was probably true. When Park stayed after work one day to help the plant manager can foods to send to country tea, the plant manager asked Park, "So, what did you do? What do you mean, canning?" Park had never canned anything besides what was manufactured at the factory. He certainly had nothing valuable enough to seal, let alone someone to send a sealed item to. I've never told this to anyone before. The plant manager proceeded to speak slowly. Before my daughter went abroad, our dog died. She held that dead dog in her arms and wouldn't stop crying. It was summertime and the dog was bound to start smelling soon, but she wouldn't let us bury it. I had to pry it from her arms when she was finally asleep, and then I canned it at the factory. We kept the can in her room for a while. In the beginning, she would stroke the can and cry, but when we got her a new dog, she didn't give the can a second glance. I ended up chucking it into the sea. The plant manager drew his index finger to his lips. It's a secret. Park nodded. The manager's eyes seemed to reveal a flash of regret. That perhaps he shouldn't have told this story. Park kept silent throughout the story to indicate his future reticence, but he worried that this could have been mistaken for disinterest, and he mustered up a question: Did it fit inside the can? It was a small dog. I used the largest one we had, and it was the perfect size. I didn't have to cut it. If it was just a little bigger, he seemed to be picturing the scene. He grimaced. Definitely don't want blood on my hands for a dog. He inspected his hands as he spoke, as if to check for blood. Hi, it's Rolly. I'm sorry, Charlie Murphy. I was having too much fun. 
sometimes I think about my own death. I think I'd like to be cremated and have the ashes sealed inside a can. I don't like the idea of rotting in the soil underneath a burial mound, and I sure don't want to be stored in one of those marble urns at a crematorium. I've worked at a canning factory my whole life. My whole life I've handled cans. They're making cans with better materials now, and it's become easier to open the lids, which tells me that the world is becoming a better place to live. The changing designs of the can labels tell me that people's tastes are changing. Their actual taste for food also changes. I learned about that when new canned foods are developed or flavors are modified. In other words, I've learned about the world through this can. If the world were like an empty can, we'd be in trouble. He regretted blurting this out the way he did and added that a can of ashes could be stored at a crematorium. The plant manager looked at Park, his face void of any expression. Looking back at his interactions with the manager, Park likened their relationship to that of two migratory birds moving in different seasons. They could never understand one another. Still, he thought it strange that the manager had disclosed something like that to him. If he had asked if everything was okay, the manager would probably have shared more. But Park hadn't asked any more. If Park had asked and the manager had answered, things could have been different. Of course, this was just an assumption. Big cans like this one, started the officer as he tapped on a 10-kilogram can. Where do these mostly get sold to? Some are exported, some go to businesses. You must like canned food. Not really. Actually, I dislike it. The officer looked at Park, surprised. How is it, then, you can eat canned food every day and work at a canning factory for nearly ten years? I barely eat the stuff. It doesn't taste good. But that's no reason not to work at a canning factory. I mean, there are men who make menstrual pads. The officer nodded. You must not find work enjoyable, then. I'm sure you feel the same way, officer. Don't you find some parts of work fun and others not so much? The same is true for me. I guess so. What's tough about making canned food? Cutting your finger on the cans or the lids, it's not a good feeling. The songs we played in between were Valerie by Mark Ronson and Amy Winehouse, followed by You Complete Me by Keisha Cole. Today I read from Pyeongyang's Tongjorim Gongjang, or The Canning Factory, translated by Michelle Chun Kim. It was published as part of the Asia Publishers' K-Fiction Bilingual Editions.
Copies are available any place where books are sold. Pyeongyang is known for her vivid narratives on alienation and isolation. When you think of characters who are cut off from the rest of the world, you're likely to picture them moping alone in a room, not out killing other people. But the loneliness of Pyeongyang's characters are expressed through violence, and the stories are often narrated in Pyeong's characteristically calm, dry tone. It makes for a much more unnerving read if you're into that sort of thing. If you want to find out how this story ends, check out Pyeongyang's The Canning Factory. It is time for my closing quote for the week. Today, to celebrate Halloween, we talked about things that are scary. Mary Shelley was pregnant when she wrote Frankenstein, and Ruth Franklin once suggested that the book was about the horrors of having children. So here's a quote from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. The different accidents of life are not so changeable as the feelings of human nature. I had desired it with an ardor that far exceeded moderation. But now that I had finished, the beauty of the dream vanished, and the breathless horror and disgust filled my heart. I beheld the wretch, the miserable monster whom I had created. Once again, that was from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. We have arrived at the end of our show. Please go to our website if you would like to learn more about next week's topic. We're inviting very special guests next week. So have a wonderful week. And don't forget to tune in again next Sunday at 10 a.m. for another brand new installation of The Bookend. Taking Us Out is one of my go-to comfort songs, Fix You by Coldplay. Stuck in